under your butt. I'm quite surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our job. Joey Clark. Uh, hello and welcome to the program. <clears throat> uh, you're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Some news today. The Dow closes above 25,000 for the first time. What a great milestone. What a huge success. The optimist in me says, keep going up, baby. And the cynic in me says, yeah, because the stock market, the Dow never goes back down. But this thing isn't built on a house of sand that has nothing to do with Donald Trump or Barack Obama, but has everything to do with a crap monetary system and faulty economic theories. Hmm. But no, no, it's a great milestone. Just enjoy the headline, Joey. Just enjoy the fact that the Dow is above 25,000. That's a, that's a great thing. A great thing. We could talk about uh, Iran and the fact that, well... The regime has seemingly cracked down on the sedition. That's what the Islamic Republic of Iran... Uh, you know, that is such a... Well, it's been a failure. They tried to combine an Islamic sort of caliphate style, essentially a, a theocracy run by Islamic clerics, and all the, like the Guardian Council, and I think they have like a selection committee that gets to decide who runs in democratic elections. And then they have a traditional, you know, democratic Republican houses and chambers and a president. But over time, as I was reading earlier today, the Iranians' theocracy most started to really control everything, rigging the game. And it was refreshing to see some people chanting death to the dictator. They didn't mean President Rouhani of Iran. They meant the Ayatollah Khamenei. And though I would love to see more of that, death to tyrants, death to that tyrant in Iran, death to the tyrant in North Korea. And it's wonderful. It seems like there's some give and take going on here with the Olympics upcoming, the U.S. deciding today to not run joint military exercises with the South Koreans as the South Koreans have developed their hotline. They've called up Kim Jong-un and uh, they're, they're talking again. I'm sure that'll be worked out after decades and decades of, uh, of stalemate. It should be worked out soon. I mean, all these issues are very complicated. Uh, what else is in the news? I was reading up on the Trump administration's worry about the BRI in China. Fascinating topic. The BRI, that's the Belt and Road Investment. Essentially, to put it very short, China wants to connect the whole of the Asian continent with roads, rails, whatever they need to transport people and materials across the continent of Asia. And especially if China becomes closer with Russia, though they're a bit rivalrous between themselves, but if they are pushed closer together, well, there were British geo 
politic you know people who study geopolitics these theorists whatever you want to call them yeah now the british knew a thing or two they had that big empire but this one british geopolitical theorist said that whoever comes up with stringing together the continent of asia will control what he termed the world island with more natural resources than anywhere else in the world with more people by far in the billions at this point the manpower the resources and the ability to move all these things very quickly now the US is trying to counter this by keeping their naval supremacy and there's some incredible ships being built the littoral ships these new modern ships and every time I say their name I always feel like I'm saying something dirty I don't know why that is littoral is not a dirty word right and incredible technology but you have to wonder if China actually wanted to muscle the United States out of its near waters could it and I don't necessarily mean with military muscle so that's all going on what else is there in the news let's oh oh this is rich Steve Bannon he might be out at Breitbart I think it well it, it's on Drudge Report, the top of it. Just came out earlier today. Breitbart owners debate ousting Bannon amid Trump feud. Ah, Breitbart, don't do that. Yeah, it's this idea that everybody has to be the same and in lockstep. Steve Bannon said some nasty things about the President of the United States. But it's, it's kind of a way guys settle disagreements. They'll speak sternly to one another. They might even start yelling. And if that doesn't satiate their disagreement, they might even have a fight. But afterwards, if there is some friendliness or past history between these people, once the fight is said and done, it can pick up where they left off. Said, so, man, we went insane there for a second. And part of me thinks that Steve Bannon and Donald Trump might have that type of relationship. Or maybe it was always a perilous journey to end in tragedy. But I think it's good for Breitbart's ratings if Steve Bannon continues. He has so much to offer. He helped build your empire. Along with the help of Drudge and Donald Trump. But... Also, Donald Trump is, uh, had his lawyers trying to move to squash this book where all the Bannon quotes appear. Well, Donald Trump is a brilliant, brilliant publicist. And apparently the publisher is moving up the date of this book, Fire and Fury. 
And I have to say, Michael Wolf is one of the weirdest-looking dudes I've seen in a while. And let's be honest, guys. We're all kind of weird-looking. Why do women even like us? I don't know. Well, except for you lucky few. Like, oh, I know I'm good-looking. Yeah, are you sure about that? We're all weird-looking. But this dude is odd. I don't know. Does he use nair to get his head that bald? Was he born without any hair? Does he feast on stem cells? I'm not certain. But Trump having his attorneys send a cease and desist letter to the author of the new book. Oh, that's only going to help the ratings. This thing is going to be a bestseller. I mean, if you're coming out with a book... What better than to have the President of the United States for all the world to see reacting to that book? We had a caller earlier today, Brian, I believe, say that, you know, I voted for Trump. I like Trump, but why is he sending a cease and desist letter? What's in that thing that he's so worried that everybody will read? I think there's probably going to be some element of truth to the book. It appears this weird-looking dude, Mr. Wolf, has a lot of sources. He has tapes of conversations with these sources. But Mr. Wolf is only one man. It's one narrative on how it was in the Trump White House right at the very beginning. The Trump White House, I think, is a bit different today. It's still headed by Donald Trump. But let's just say the palace intrigue seems to have calmed down a bit. So since everything has changed so much, now that John Kelly in particular is chief of staff at the White House, almost like deputy president, let's think back to those early days. You had Sean Spicer, one of the most lackluster and pitiful human beings I have ever seen as press secretary. Now, I'm not saying he's, a, he's lackluster and, and terrible or pitiful or pathetic or anything about that in, in terms of Mr. Spicer personally. Just, Sean, if you're listening, the job you did as press secretary for Donald Trump there's a reason why SNL's ratings were off the charts. Because Melissa McCarthy had you by the stones. She even looked like you after a little bit of makeup. And when you're that easily satirized, you gotta go, man. You gotta go. I don't know, Spicer just always seemed like he was flustered that he didn't know what was going on and it's one of the toughest jobs in the west wing don't get me wrong i probably could not could not do that job or what i wanted and i was sitting here thinking could i in this part of the country, in my native town, my native soil, where I was born and raised, Montgomery, Alabama, could I, Joey Clark, run for office? Well, I'm certainly arrogant enough, narcissistic enough, 
I have a little bit of a way with words. Though I would have to calm it down. But there's this problem. It, the things I believe. Now, I could, if I was going to run for office here in Montgomery, Alabama, say, challenge Martha Roby. You know, Greg's thinking about doing this, too. Greg Budell, the guy I'm on with from 3 to 6. He wants to do this interactive thing where we would be in constant communication and kind of take a daily poll or vote with the folks back home on what should Greg do next. Well, if I was going to run for office, the problem would be is that I wouldn't want to lie to you. Now, nor would Greg. But I think Greg is more like you. But I wouldn't want to lie to you. I wouldn't want to blow smoke up your backside. I would have to be Joey, and I would probably say, well, Joey, why are you running? To tear down the federal government as much as possible. And I know that's a dangerous thing to say in a town whose biggest employer is a military base. And the state government. And a lot of big institutions that rely on government. Even businesses who needed some special pleading in order to come to town. But that's the way it works. That's the way it works. Now, if I ran for office, I would have to promise you, ladies and gentlemen, that I would do absolutely nothing for you. Now, I'm not going to say that I'm going to go fight the good fight and make your life better. I probably won't be able to. Now, what I'm going to do is to pretend like I'm in a Frank Capra movie. Go up there and give magnificent, dare I say, glorious speeches. I'm going to bring home some juicy sound bites, ladies and gentlemen. If you send me to Washington, D.C., I'm not going to bring home the bacon unless you're literally talking about me riding into town with bacon. But I'm not going to bring back pork. I would probably say stuff like, where is the actual desire to shrink the size and scope of government? Where is the consistent desire to shrink the size and scope of government? Because I see it a little bit in certain segments, but it's very rare that Democrats want to shrink the size and scope of government. Very rare. Like, I think a lot of Democrats like the idea of giving people more liberty when it comes to certain drugs like marijuana, pot, cannabis, wacky-backy, the devil's lettuce, all these names. They might want to give you more freedom when it comes to overbearing national security surveillance into your everyday lives. That tramples on your Fourth Amendment rights, but I'm a little hard-pressed to think of where the Democrats actually stand up. Well, on civil liberties, they can also be pretty good, but they talk a good game. They don't actually deliver in many cases. 
but I don't blame the Democrats because the Democrats pretty much say up front, we're the party of government that wants to take care of you. We're compassionate. We honestly believe that government programs will help make our society better, will help grow our economy, and just make life all around a, like the end of the Grinch. Everybody locked hand in hand, singing around a Christmas tree. They're fairly upfront about that. Now they use propaganda and fake news like anybody else. But when I turn to the Republican Party, the party of smaller government, I at first believed that. I really did, folks. I believed that the Republican Party was going to cut the size and scope of government. They'll cut taxes, income taxes, a little bit. I'll take the tax reform that was just passed at the end of last year. Wonderful. Not ideal, but I'll take it. I'll take the pulling back of many harmful regulations. I'll take it. But on big ticket items, on the items actually driving our deficits and our overall national debt, I do not... Expect the Republican Party to do a damn thing. To reform entitlements. To maybe pull back our military footprint a bit. Just a little bit. No, we're going to spend more on it because that's what the people in the military say they need. Because we need to have the ability to deal with everything I was talking about at the beginning of the show. Possibly deal with the Iranians and help the Saudi Arabians uh, modernize their economy and fight extremism. Though I'm not sure about how genuine they are. As well as you know, give more money to Pakistan. Pull it all back. All $30 billion, Donnie, Mr. President. Just take it all away. But they need this military to deal with Russia. They need this military to deal with China, to deal with North Korea, to help supply all our allies around the globe, whether in Europe or the Pacific, or to set up more bases and support in Africa, or to continue doing whatever the hell we are doing in Latin America. So the military is not going to be cut because there are too many obligations. Way too many obligations. Entitlements are not going to be reformed. Most Republicans in the House and the Senate and the president himself want to continue, for instance, 
the FISA court's Section 702 authorities that has led to even the unmasking of people in the Trump campaign and transition. But I guess it's vital to national security. Again, it all goes back to this national security thing. So they want to not only renew it, maybe with a sunset, which is, it's not what I want, but it's, it doesn't surprise me. But the, there are some folks who want to expand Section 702, despite everything we've learned over the years. And despite how much constituents of the Republican Party say they don't trust the federal government, they trust it to have all these spying capabilities. So I'm, I'm racking my brain on where is a consistent and principled stand to shrink the size and scope, the cost and intrusiveness of government in our lives, especially at the federal level. Because there are people that want to permanently reauthorize Section 702. And there are a few voices like Mike Lee and Rand Paul. And again, that's where a few Democrats are all right, too, like Ron Wyden. But most in the Republican Party, the party of smaller government, aren't making it any smaller. In fact, I don't think Donald Trump necessarily claimed I'm, that's his actual goal. Correct me if I'm wrong, and feel free, 272-9228. When I think back to the Donald Trump campaign, what he said was, our leaders are stupid. The people running our government are stupid. We're being played by other nations, and we're running this government so inefficiently. But I can fix it. To me, it wasn't an appeal to increase the scope of liberty in our society. It was an appeal to make government more efficient. And if that's what you want, all power to you. But if I was going to run for office, I don't think I could here in the city I was born and raised. Because I don't think people actually want smaller government. Some might, but the vast majority, it's not the case. But the beautiful thing is, is I don't want to run for office. Why would somebody want to run for office? I mean, if I'm put myself in somebody else's shoes... Like in this studio earlier today, well, about six hours ago, Bradley Byrne, fairly new congressman from the Mobile area. Y'all know Bradley. He struck me as somebody who was genuine. He struck me as somebody who's virtuous, charming, has a good sense of humor. And who takes his job seriously. And so I have to think about what was his upbringing. 
Why did he want to seek office in the first place? How much do you think you can actually get done? But I think I'm just one of those guys who was made to where I I don't ever want that responsibility. And I used to think that power corrupts principle applied to those with power. And it does. The more power, the more likely somebody might abuse it. That's why I'm so worried about things like Section 702 of the FISA statute. That is surveillance. That's why I'm so worried about it. That's why I'm so worried about the United States taking on such a huge role on the world stage in foreign policy and giving military guarantees. Now, these guarantees were given. We're in this situation. If I'm honest, I don't think anybody knows the exact right way forward. That's the way we argue about this stuff. But the reason I'm so worried about it is because that much power, so many people relying on all that power from the United States federal government, it's bound to be ripe for abuse. And it's bound to corrupt a sound foreign policy. There are many ways power does corrupt those in government. But it's not like these people actually become like bad, evil, nefarious people. I'm sure those folks exist too. But what if you are just serving a corrupt system in the most honest way you can? What if you're a good, virtuous, charming person and you're working for a system because your constituents like what you're doing and you're listening to them and you're serving them? But all the while, the people in your district and the ideas you have yourself, maybe in the long run, even though they're well-intentioned and they're practical and make sense, what you can get done in the political moment, because politics is the art of the possible— Maybe at the end of the day, it only has continued to serve this corrupt system that we're stuck in. I'm really in a tough spot these days. Because I want to stand up for what I believe in. And come up with a way to express what I believe in and who I am. And it's not like I have all the answers. I think I've said that before. I'm working a lot of stuff out. But express what I believe in and what I know in an entertaining way. But is that really what people want? Honesty. Well, maybe, maybe not. I think people do want that. But I am I'm stuck because I've I've gone through this journey now.
of working here six years, coming in, believing the Republican Party is the party of smaller government. They're really going to improve my life a lot better, a hell of a lot better than the Democrats. Only after watching them for just six years, whether in opposition to Obama or operating at the state government level, or now in power, Well, they seem to have sold me a a lie without even knowing it was a lie. That's the craziest thing. I don't want to just call these guys liars. And it makes me feel like sometimes growing up is learning to become cynical. I'm going to press on. I mean, I'm sitting up here Complaining, but honestly, my biggest concern this morning was, uh, well, I had to do what nature requires. And is there not some device, some product, something out there that when it's a very, very cold day, maybe somebody in the north has figured this out? Is there some way that I can get a toilet seat that isn't so frigid? It's driving me insane. I'd like to poop in peace early in the morning. Not be chattering my teeth (laughs) and getting goosebumps in all the wrong places for all the wrong reasons. That I'm cold. It's driving me insane today. So we have Iran, we have North Korea, we have the issues with China and this long struggle. I didn't even really touch on Russia. We have the reauthorization of Section 702, mass surveillance tools, and the FISA statute. We have Steve Bannon possibly out at Breitbart. How Donald Trump is actually going to help the sales of fire and fury because... He's moved so much on this. This is why Rachel Maddow, unfortunately, and I don't like her. I really can't stand watching Rachel Maddow. This is why I unplugged cable news. Because I couldn't stand Maddow, but I also couldn't stand Hannity. Again, I just got tired of the constant back and forth. But I'd imagine Rachel Maddow is at the top because... It's great for ratings. People want to see a fight. And when the guy in power is supposedly against everything you believe in, oh, it makes for great television. People want to see a fight. They want to see the controversy. Even when they probably know half of it's crap. On the economy, the Dow is up 25,000. I guess it's a good day. You know, one of my favorite things are songs that uh, have incredibly sad lyrics or desperate lyrics. But the music is like, happy, I'm so happy, I'm so happy. For instance, the record of the day 
we'll have a few here to go on this theme, but going into this short break, a song called Holy Touch by Foxy Shazam. And I love the music. It's so upbeat. But there was a time when I used to care. I had a heart, man. Something was there. I didn't know it then, but now that it's gone, the fire died. And I need you to heal me with that holy touch. Clark. Now, welcome back. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Oh, I'm Joey. Actually, I'm not Joey. The show's been terrible tonight. This is not Joey Clark. This is some imposter who can perfectly impersonate him. Again, the song of the day, the record of the day, is Holy Touch by Foxy Shazam. The second verse is actually, there was a line that I used to walk. I used to cross it just to get them to talk. But I'd regret it if I did or not, because I hate both sides. So, heal me with your holy touch. Oh, that song's speaking to me tonight really is. But let's go to the phones, uh, to a guy I've had on the show, and I consider him, uh, well, we're becoming friends, aren't we, Alan? Slowly but surely, and I hate uh, to hear what you've been going through the last six weeks, man, and uh, uh, let me know if there's anything I can do. I greatly appreciate that, and we absolutely are becoming friends, and I just wanted to call, because I heard, I've been listening to the past 20 minutes or so of the show, and you're talking about, you know, what what Democrats are, are looking for and the, the kind of the big government idea. And I think there's some truth to that. But for a lot of people on the left, it's not big government for the sake of it. It's not big government because we want to control every aspect of your life. You even mentioned certain things like marijuana. And I find it really telling that the party that espouses, you know, small government, you have now them pushing back against states where people have voted to legalize things like marijuana. And I don't think it's just about, you know, oh, those are hippies wanting to get high. No, it's a matter of basic freedom. Yeah. It's a matter of, hey, if freedom means anything, then the freedom to do what I want to my own consciousness, so long as I hurt no one else, should be no one's business. But the small government party says, no, 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 no. We must put you in a cage for that. Right, and then... And then the party who's administrating it in California has regulated it so much that they can't meet the demand. Like, the businesses can't keep up. And I'm I'm worried, like, if pot was ever legalized in Alabama, that it would end up like the ABC board. Be some... It's like, can't we... I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of, it's like a basic freedom. And Fundamental freedom. And it's what... It drives me nuts. It's like we can't ever seem to get to that point on so many issues, and there are sticking points all over the place. Um, exactly, exactly, and especially when the the line that people on the right love to use is states' rights, states' rights. Listen to the people. Okay, well, the people have spoken. Why do you want to cross their voices? But well, then, and, and I'm I'm 
I am I'm not shocked that Jeff Sessions did this because I've gotten to know Jeff Sessions pretty well, um, and I just think he's wrong on this issue. Yeah. Uh, but I I think there is some hope because I mean you saw Corey Gardner from Colorado, you know, mm-hmm. you, and we've even had you know conservative callers today call up and go, "What is he doing?" I mean, everybody's kind of like, "All right, this is." The big fight we're gonna, we need. This is how we need to use federal resources. Right. All. It's just I don't know. Kind of came out of nowhere, almost like a reaction to California and what just happened there. Exactly. And it's not going to be a political winner. But then on the other side of the coin, away from states, right? For a minute, let's go to some of the, the the big federal government things. If you look at some of the countries that have the highest standard of living and the highest report, the highest self-reporting of people being happy, they tend to be countries have more powerful central government, namely Scandinavia. And one of the big ones, I know it's super controversial here, and I think we even may disagree on this one, is a guarantee of basic health care. Like, for example, as I was telling you during the break, Mm. my mother, for the past six weeks, has been in the ICU. There were a few times there when I thought she was about to die, and she has heart failure, and kidney failure, and then while in the hospital, as severe as that was, also had a stroke. And this is someone who has worked her entire life, entire life, definitely believe in work. After my stepfather left, and I'm thankful he did, uh, she worked two jobs. Yet, health insurance can be really expensive. She wasn't able to afford it. And even with all the conditions she had, you have to fight and fight and fight and appeal and appeal and appeal yeah. to even get disability. And this is, we're talking someone who's left the last two jobs they tried to work in an ambulance, right? Right. So why is it that we can't provide basic medical coverage for our citizens, not just emergency coverage? It's like, can we not, at the very least, as all humans who face tragedies in this life, can we not unite together against death? Well, we can try, um, and I, I think part of this is the our arguments are broken. Mm-hmm. If I put it that way, the frame yeah. of our arguments um, yeah. that you know you mentioned how disability works, and I, I watched that with uh, with my mom, like very disabled, and it, it took a lot of work just to get a you know basic disability. Uh, to come Absolutely. in. Absolutely. And it, it's Absolutely. it's like even the programs the United States have, which can be generous, um, they're, they're almost removed, impersonal. It's bureaucratic. Um, right. And like you said, you don't, you and your beliefs, you don't like big government because you like big government. It's not a control thing for you. It right. is a genuine, I want to help people. And I almost think that maybe why it works in, say, the Nordic countries, is because you do have a, a smaller political unit. Right. Um, it's a solution, I and I don't know how we get there, how much of an actual solution is practically. But if you look at, say, how uh, Switzerland works, where you have a, a central government that guarantees basic liberties, like we were right. discussing a second ago, but most of the welfare and a lot of other programs are provided at the what they call the cantonal level. Right. And 
that makes a lot of sense to me that I think people say even here in Montgomery where I was looking at demographics last night and what people believe in Pew Research did an incredible breakdown of Montgomery and all over the country uh, from religion to political beliefs and whatnot and people here tend to be skeptical of how welfare programs work they tend to want smaller government more self-reliance as they would put it but I think even a place like here if it was only up to this place would be uh, I don't know I, I think the argument would be easier if it was right in front of your face and it was okay it's our community and right I, I think you're right about that because like you mentioned Switzerland the same is true in Canada they have single payer but it's not done at the federal level it's done at the provincial level right and it's like so much it here's what I'm thinking we're fighting against the the forces of history and the momentum of that that Everything that happened in the early 20th century and the two wars have a huge part in this created this Leviathan federal government uh, that for national security's sake, and you get this confidence out of victory and war that if we could do it and plan it in war, we can do it and plan it in every aspect of our lives. And even before the war, all sorts of scientific thinking which in some cases led to very dark alleys. Um, you know, I'm thinking like eugenics and whatnot and scientific yeah. racism. Um, but that, that sort of baggage from, I would say, the bad part of the progressives, and I'm talking about early 20th century progressives, I'm not talking about right. modern day ones, uh, that we're almost all, and it, it was both parties, were dealing with those systems they built nearly a century ago now and those systems aren't serving people well and instead of saying we need to shrink it back down to the local unit because we do have the tech and i think the wealth in order to make that work we're so caught in this like i said momentum of history and these systems those folks built that our grandparents and great-grandparents built that uh we're almost stuck fighting over these systems that are impersonal uh, way too bureaucratic and not serving people uh, on a, a very one-to-one community level. And it, it, it's a, I can't prove it, but it makes me think this is why the arguments are so intense between partisans, is that people right. feel so under siege that if I don't get my party or the one I identify with doesn't get power, then everything I believe in is up for grabs. And if and vice versa. So exactly. Be under threat. And you're not thinking clearly when you're under threat. And it becomes this, this team mentality. It's my team versus your team. And whatever your team is suggesting is automatically bad and vice versa. And to take it back to the last election, one of the things that drew me personally to Bernie Sanders was not even the thing that got the most mention. It wasn't the $15 minimum wage or any of that stuff. It was the issue of money in politics, and I think that this is a, a nonpartisan issue because right now, if you have money and you can donate unlimited amounts of money in the politics, and typically whoever has the most money wins, those with the concentrated wealth get their way. I think if we had a system where it's publicly financed elections, and you could have some criteria for you know being approved, maybe you have to have so many signatures or whatever but if you had that kind of system where 
everyone had equal funding when it comes to elections. It would be a true contest of ideas instead of an auction the way it is. And I think that the people's voices would be heard much better in a situation like that. You have, you have lots of things. I'm not even getting into the merits of the argument right now, but the vast majority of the country in poll after poll supports universal background checks for guns. But the gun lobby outspends them, so nothing happens. Right. I, I think money in politics, uh, it's a two-way street. It, that Yes, you have people trying to influence it, and often the very wealthy are playing both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're giving to both. They're, but it, let's not kid ourselves. If you are a very wealthy, say, company in this country, and you don't want to be involved in politics at all, good luck with that. Right. They'll come at you. And it, there's a... I'm trying to think of the book. Um, uh, Extortion is the name of the book. Where this author goes into how the political parties, both of them, use threats of certain sort of regulations or taking away certain sort of privileges mm-hmm. to get companies to donate. And they'll, they'll do it in a way of, oh, like, hey there, Hollywood, I know y'all are worried about pri- or piracy, and so are you, music companies. You're you're so worried about piracy, so we're going to uh, we're going to be holding this fundraiser. Oh, and we're also going to visit uh, the tech companies that are are worried about being regulated by us in the fight of, against piracy, and so they play interest against one another. Um, and we only have like three minutes left, man. And I think we even fell back into, and these are all good discussions. Like, again, a, a frame that isn't quite filling the need uh that it's it's not about changing necessarily at the end of the day the the political structure and reforming law that will save our society that it will take a a true i don't know for lack of better moral revolution it's it's going to take some sort of wake-up call i'm worried my cynical side worries it's going to take some sort of wake-up call to make people, you know, step back and reach out and start looking after one another rather than getting involved in these political fights. And hopefully that wake-up call won't be some massive tragedy. I mean, what does it take to shake people's attention for more than a day or two? And that's the really sad thing. It it really is sad. Now, I'm I'm showing my ignorance... um, is there a Martin Luther King Jr. statue prominently downtown in Montgomery? I'm going to show mine as well. I, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering. Like I, you would think, if there is, I would immediately go, "Yeah, there is one." And of course, Same there's here. there's a you know museum and the mm-hmm. history of the civil rights movement and there's a lot of wonderful things downtown but uh i had this idea and it came from watching uh, an, a documentary by henry lewis gates on the history of africa uh, and that africa has been given short shrift uh in the historical record and these kings who would dominate their enemies and and win against and conquer their enemies in war they wouldn't build a monument of themselves as the victor and the conqueror. They would build a, almost an idealistic monument and portrayal of their vanquished enemy and, and hail the enemy. 
and say, look at how brave and courageous this enemy was, and I beat him. And so if there isn't an MLK statue downtown prominently yet, I say we put one right next to the Confederate monuments. Absolutely. Right next to one another. So people can come to this place in 100 years and say, both these things happened in this place. And, and we are capable of, of this of going from this point to this point within this area. Exactly. It was some. It was a strange thought I had the other night, um, and I encourage folks to check out that documentary. Well, Alan, I appreciate you calling in, man. Um, but Thank I, you for taking the call. Uh, and I again, uh, just reach out to me, man. Message me uh, if you need. Will anything. do. All right. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate it. Thank you, folks, for listening to. It's been the Joey Clark Radio Hour. I'll be back tomorrow night.